Well, a couple weeks ago, I joined my brothers, Chris and Keegan, um, some of our covenant members at Sunrise, and we we decided to bless and pray um, with the people in the community. And um, honestly, I didn't have too many, uh, too many expectations because we were, we were up at the crack of dawn. I was like, I don't think there's anybody who wants to talk to us today. Um, and so, but we got like several just open doors, awesome conversations. And then uh, Keegan had this desire, this calling to go um, talk with the guard at the booth. And I'll call him Z. And uh, he had only waved at the guard, uh, but always just passed him. Never really had a, a conversation. He just said the guard kind of just, uh, just waved and made funny hand gestures at him, and that's about it. So he felt led to go talk to him. And so when we came up to him, he asked us, hey, what are, we do- what are you guys doing? And Keegan just said, hey, we're just actually just going around and, and seeing if anybody needs prayer. Can we pray for you? And he looks at us with a condescending look, and he's like, no, thanks. And I was just kind of like, kind of put off by his, you know, cold response. And um, before I had a chance to say anything, Chris just jumps in and he's just like, hey man, I just want to let you know, I know you, you had mentioned you don't want that, but I just want to let you know we're Christians, but, you know, we're not out here because we believe that we're better than anybody else here. We just really trust in Jesus. He saved us and we just want to go out and just share about him. And he looked at us again and he looked at us kind of with a softened, condescending look. <laughs> and uh, he's like, oh, um, well, let me see. The most surprising thing just came next. He said, um, I'm good, actually. I mean, I really appreciate it, guys. Don't get me wrong. I really do. But you see, I used to be a man of God. And he detailed his story on how he was hurt by something a former church did to a family member. And since then, he's left the church and taken a different path, but he still believes in God. And so as we were talking with them, I was kind of like, oh, I don't want to bother you. I know you're doing your job. But after a while, it was apparent to us that we weren't bothering him. In fact, it was his job that was bothering him. All these cars kept on coming in, and he wanted to talk to us. And then later on, he's like, hey, you know what? Let's pray. I think that's the right thing to do. And then he goes, and then he asks, hey, can I pray for you all? And he prays for us, every one of us, by name. I think that was just God's way maker, amen? There's a lot of people like Z that I think we pass by. I wonder how we think the people are just waiting for Jesus to call them back into fellowship with him. They're sitting at the guard booth, or they're sitting near the mall, or they're sitting at their home just waiting for Jesus to call them. And Z, although he had his defenses up, he was primed and pumped to ready to follow Jesus. So even after the call, he was just like, man, I'm just reminded to get my, my relationship with God back going. And so another group, and I just want to, I just want to encourage us. That this is what the, the scene was today. There are two types of people in this passage that Jesus calls out. How, who are these two types of people? And how are these two callings different? Let's take a look again at Matthew chapter 9. Um, and let's take a look at verses 9 through 10. If you're new to the word, it's right after Malachi Right before Mark, it's the first book in the New Testament about, you know, about three quarters of your way into the scriptures. Matthew chapter 9, big 9, and 
small, nine and ten. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And so we'll stop there. But what we see here, number one, is that Jesus calls out the outcast to follow him. Here, Matthew is powerfully reflecting on his first encounter, um, maybe his first face-to-face encounter with Jesus. It's interesting that Matthew doesn't give us more details about his incredible encounter with Jesus. That's why it's so powerful. Why? It's because he didn't have to. He was probably the most infamous character in his side of town. He was the most corrupt man. And Jesus pointed him out and said, I want him to follow me. Back in Jesus' day, we, we know this. Tax collectors were employed by the Jews, bitter, uh, their bitter enemies, the Romans. They conquered the land, including Judea, and they were the occupying power and force. And um, just to give us a little glimpse of this, I remember growing up, and for the longest time that I could remember, I can remember the deep animosity that members of my family would have. Um, I'm Chinese, but they would have so much animosity toward the Japanese because during the time of World War II and following, they had committed unspeakable atrocities in the occupied towns and villages in China. And it was there so much that it scarred them. And it brought so much animosity to those Chinese that just sold out and started working for or spying for the Japanese. This is the kind of the tune of what was going on in Rome. Rome was every bit as ruthless, and the cross was the picture of death for anyone who crossed Rome. Rome would employ uh, their, the citizens to collect taxes for the empire. And so they would buy uh, franchises that would require a certain amount for Rome. And then they left it to the tax collectors to just run wild to impose any taxes uh, that they felt necessary. So can you imagine how hated as a tax collector you would be? That you would have the license to extort money from your own people. Now, going a little bit into uh, the times, there were two kinds of tax collectors. There were the first one, which I will call the IRS, because they're the ones uh, that collected the property taxes. And so you don't really see them. They were not the most hated. They, no one saw them on a daily basis. You didn't know who is working for the IRS. They were mainly anonymous. But the other kinds were the local officials, probably the ones that grew up in their towns, who did their own assessing and their own collecting. And so they were already in constant contact with their community as well as those who traveled in. So they were just given so much latitude in what they could tax for, but so much that they pocketed a lot of the money themselves. Check this out. They can tax a traveler's donkey for carrying too many goods. If you had a Dead Sea tourism business, well, guess what? They can charge you exorbitant taxes on your business license. They could even go to the lengths of opening your private mail and see if there's anything that they can just issue a tax on. So you've imagined that if you live right by this tax booth, man, I would call Eddie right away and just be like, um, you know, I need your realty services. We're going to move somewhere else. (laughs) We're going away. See, it's easy to see that Matthew was one of these local tax collectors because he was sitting in the tax booth as Jesus walked out of the gates of Capernaum, which was his hometown. And so Matthew would be known as that guy, 
Jesus didn't see him as that guy. Jesus saw him as the guy to invite, to follow him. Now, some people see this as a a spur-of-the-moment conversion. But when you check it out against other gospel accounts, Mark, Luke, and John, you look at Matthew's life, it is possible that he's probably been under the influence or have heard the influences of Jesus' teaching for some time. Uh, Matthew was probably familiar with Jesus' ministry in Capernaum, maybe hearing or seeing his miracles, having a front row in his tax booth. Now, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, other disciples of Jesus, probably similarly had similar backgrounds, where they, over time, they yielded to Jesus' authorities and the forcefulness of his power. But they heeded the call over time. And we see that Matthew was no different. Matthew must have been waiting for the right timing and the right invitation by Jesus himself to follow him. Luke, um, also speaking of Matthew's calling, said this was a calculated decision. In other words, this cost him everything. Matthew knew that once he abandoned his post, it was nothing. It was the same thing as saying, I quit. When you take a look at Luke chapter 5, verse 28, we see that he clues in this because he says that Matthew left behind a rich lifestyle. Luke chapter 5, verse 28 says that, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So when you look at this account, you don't look at just somebody who just went out of a tax booth and just started following Jesus like a parade. It's possible that Matthew made the greatest sacrifice at that point to follow Jesus. Think about how much money he was leaving behind. Think about what kind of comfort for his family he was leaving behind. Maybe this explains that perhaps even he knew he was going to lose all the sources of income to follow Jesus. So you know what he did? He threw a big party. He invited all of his friends to dine with Jesus at his house. If you look at Luke's parallel account, also in Luke chapter 5, Verse 29, you'll see that. In Luke chapter 5, verse 29, he records, And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So what we see here is that Matthew used whatever cash he had left, and probably will never see again, to introduce his friends to Jesus. These are probably the outcasts, the prostitutes, the robbers, the hated tax collectors, the worst people in town, the people you do not want to be seen with. And yet Jesus decided to dine with them. What an incredible God we have. Jesus said, in effect, to these tax collectors and everybody that was just gathered at the table, these are my people. And when Jesus calls, he calls not the outstanding, but the outcasts. These folks that Jesus chose to identify with, these were the folks that he was going to have fellowship. Because table fellowship was not just sharing a meal. It was saying who you were a part of and who you excluded. And so we have the tendency to pass by tax collectors in our own life, guys or girls or ladies or men. We don't think we have anything to do with Jesus. But we have to first realize, before we look outside, is we look at us. We're broken without Jesus. We're no different. And yet Jesus' heart is wildly different. He saw us who was broken, hopeful, dead in our sins, 
and said to us, these are my people. And so how did the religious uh, leaders of their time react? And how did Jesus call them out in a different way? Let's go ahead and go back to Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to take a look at verses 11 through 13. It says, And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The second people that Jesus calls are the prideful to be humbled. So first of all, Jesus calls the outcasts to follow. And here Jesus calls out the prideful to be humbled. The religious leaders just, they took aim, not at Matthew, not at the sinners and friends associating with him. They took shots at Jesus because he was so willing to associate with such sinners. And their question in their minds, they're asking, if he was really a man of God, if he was a, a truly anointed one, why would he subject himself to such Yet their question was just really a rhetorical question, one that didn't really receive any satisfactory answer. It was a clear cancel of Jesus' authority and and just meant to cause doubt in the disciples' eyes. What was Jesus' response? Look at verse 12. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of, of a physician but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What we see about the Pharisees is they didn't see themselves as needing anything. The Pharisees thought themselves to be the most important of Jewish societies. They were the go-tos for everything under the law. They were revered. They were given the positions in the marketplace, and they would go along the who's who of Capernaum's social events. If there are VIPs like Jesus, who they needed to meet with or he needed to meet with, it was them. They were so prideful and they trusted in, his own right, in their own righteousness. And Jesus here rebukes their spiritual pride with a medical example. You know, we think so highly of those in the medical field, and by the way, thank you so much who are in the medical field because you put yourself at risk for those who are sick. But you know, what kind of medical professionals would spend their time with well people? If a hospital only serviced healthy people, they would definitely go out of business really quickly. We don't go to the hospital to tell the doctor that, yeah, everything is good, everything's fine. But rather when we feel like something's wrong. But that was the deal with the Pharisees. They, don't, they didn't think that anything was wrong with their hearts. They thought they were good at first, just like Z, whom we had talked to. And yet Jesus was saying, you are desperately sick you, need to, you think you're fine in your self-diagnosis, but in reality, you are needing to go to the ER because your situation is dire. At least these tax collectors and sinners could admit that they were sick and in need of a doctor. But the Pharisees could not humble themselves to confess a single thing. And they would criticize and condemn others whom they thought was lesser rather than expecting their own hearts. And Jesus goes even further he quotes Hosea 6.6, 6, and he makes this audacious request. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the right, not the righteous, but sinners. 
Jesus calls them out for their condemning heart through this story of Hosea. And we may know this story, may not, but Hosea uh, was a prophet, and he was called to marry a woman named Gomer. And though Gomer committed adultery and just ran away and left her husband for other men, it was her husband, Hosea, who showed just amazing covenant faithfulness for this cheating wife. And Jesus, the door was wide open for Hosea to say, you know what, see you later, I'm done, and just throw the divorce papers. But Hosea just kept loving his wife. And Jesus used this example of Hosea to say, as, as Hosea had love and compassion for his wife, so have I on the unfaithful daughter of God. Because Israel was like the bride of God. And Israel, had, as, as a nation, had just cheated on God and focused and chased after other lovers and went to other loves and cheated on God. And yet the story goes on to say that Hosea just kept on loving and forgiving And Jesus is saying this by means of saying, you need to learn this. God desires not perfection, but he desires compassion. And he calls the Pharisees saying, learn mercy. You have so much pride in yourself, in your own goodness, your own reputation, your own law-keeping, that they had no room to reflect compassion to others. And all they had was a critical heart. Well, Jesus is clear here. He says, I don't call those who think they have it all together, but I call sinners, people who confess their desperate need, and they are in reality far away from them, but yet, just like Ty, who admit their own brokenness before God and humbly draw near to God in repentance. And the Bible says that Jesus, that when we approach his throne of grace, that he will give us help in times of need. And God says, these are my people. These are my people that my heart is drawn to. And hope, I think, as we've talked about being an authentic reflection of biblical Christianity, man, I hopefully see this, that we are transparent about our sin and our brokenness. We are all broken people, hot messes. Or in this week, we were cold messes because all of us were sitting in the dark, freezing 30 degrees, 40 degrees in our homes for the first time. And what I was remembering is that we are all in this. We are all broken. We need Jesus to come and save us. Aren't you glad that God didn't call the righteous but sinners to himself? Because if you knew my thoughts, if you knew the deepest part of my heart, you see so much sin in this heart, you would just run. Yet there's so much power of the gospel, in the gospel that Jesus is not impressed by your goodness. He's not impressed by your track record. He is more impressed when you say, I am broken, and I need healing, that I need a doctor, and I need Jesus to save me from my sin, to provide the righteousness that I can never, ever have to stand before him, a holy God. That is the good news of the kingdom. And not only Jesus has the righteousness, but he has died to make it happen, to give us, to exchange our sin for his righteousness so that we can stand in the sight of a holy God. And that's Jesus. Jesus obeyed. 
the will of his heavenly father. He perfectly did everything that God asked him to do, even without a hint of sin. Then he died on the cross to pay the penalty due us. He was crucified, and then he was buried, and then he rose again. And on the third day, he rose, showing that God has accepted his sacrifice over sinner, that he has defeated sin and death and Satan And that if we trust in Christ, then we get our relationship not based on merit, but we get our relationship gifted by grace, healed by God, sins forgiven, and we receive his spirit. So because we cannot do it ourselves, we are given the spirit, the Holy Spirit, and he gives us the power to live out God's calling for us. And I think that's so antithetical that the American culture stands for. It's by your achievement. It's by your own goodness. If by own, if you work hard enough, if you deserve it, you're going to get it. But the gospel, God's message for sinners, is countercultural. The gospel, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. And it's by trusting in somebody else's achievement, the work of King Jesus on your behalf, that saves you. What an audacious claim. And what a gospel for sinners like you and I. Amen. And so our goodness is really shot through with sin and contains something that needs to be forgiven, as J.I. Packer calls it. We're not healthy. We are sick. We have a virus and we need a vaccine. But not only we need a vaccine, we need somebody to heal and mend us whole. And that's the great physician. Asking him for areas where we need to surrender and repent from and have constant checkups through our community here, in our home groups. We seek to be as authentic as we can through the scriptures and through sharing with each other our struggles, our sins, and the church body. So let's not settle for false religion in which we are pretending to be right with God. Like, what if we woke up and we spent more time repenting of our sins before uh, those who have not followed Jesus, showing our need for a Savior, and pointing the glory back to Jesus. What an apologetic of humility and transparency that would be. What if we repented more in the presence of non-Christians than if we repented in Christ, with, with Christians? What if we constantly confessed how broken we are, how prideful we can become, and then show how Christ saves us? And so there are two groups that God has called us to, One, God calls, and Jesus called the outcast, the ones who knew their sin, admitted their brokenness. And then there's the other group that was the religious folks that didn't need any help and didn't want to to confess their sin. Which group are you? And so as we um, go ahead and as we invite the music team and the prayer team to come forward, I want us to, and as we stand together, as we sing a couple more songs, I want us to to ask ourselves, who are we really? Which group are we in? Jesus calls the outcast, and for the outcast, he has a place at the table. Yet Jesus also calls out the spiritually prideful, and that they have no place in his kingdom. And so if you are feeling abandoned or are you feeling lost or are you feeling distant from God through this winter storm or through this COVID season, I want to encourage you, there's a place at the table of Jesus 
If you're broken, that's good news because Jesus welcomes you. If you're weighed down by sins, if you're weighed down by your fatigue, if you're just weighed down by despair and depression or sadness, good news. He's taken your sin on himself. If you're broken, you're only trusting in Jesus. Only by trusting in him alone brings healing. So only God knows your heart, but I want to encourage you as we come and as we spend this time in worship and also as we have our time of post-sermon prayer, I want to encourage you and I want to invite you that maybe this is the first time. I mean, God is really pounding on your heart and asking um, to come clean of what you're feeling, that you just need to lay out this, this burden to somebody. I want to encourage you to come for prayer. Also, if there is somebody here who is in need and it's been just a rough week for you, I want to encourage you to come for prayer. Our prayer team would love to pray for you. Um, But uh, we just want to ask that one man pray um, with only one man and a woman pray with only uh, one uh, one woman. And, uh, And as we get together and also slip on and have your masks on as you come and pray. So let's pray and let's come before our Lord and our King. Lord, thank you so much, God, that you are a God of grace and a God who reaches out to the outcast. Father, thank you that you are a God who has called out the tax collectors, those who have confessed their brokenness and their need for repentance. Father, I pray that we would leave nothing on the floor tonight, but we'll leave everything here. And we'll come before you that we would ask that, Lord, you would bring healing in this place for those who are struggling with pain or struggle or with burst pipes or, or, or just problems that they cannot fix. Help them to know that, that, God, you are by their side. Father, if there's anyone who is feeling distant from you, I pray that they would feel your presence even now in this room as we worship you and as we lift you up, God, and give you glory. Father, if there's anybody who needs to know more about you, who just needs prayer, we pray that they would come forward. Thank you, Father, for your word, and thank you for how convicts us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.